But good morning to one and all and welcome to Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre where we believe a church alive is worth the drive drive, and a church of might is worth the flight. That's right. I don't know, in the prayer meeting this morning, I could just see people beginning to come in on trains, come in on buses, flying into this place. I could see people driving into this place. Harley or horseback, I don't care. Let them come, amen? And I think there's good things for this region, amen? Good things. Because God is good. God is good. And so, but to those also joining with us online, welcome to our family. And you are our family. And I pray that you're going to be blessed by this morning's message. Last week we talked about the prophet Elijah. Who loved that message? I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Amen? And we're continuing to believe for that abundance of rain to come. And uh, not just a, a rain in the natural, but a rain in the spirit. The former rain and the latter rain the Bible speaks about being poured out in this our time, this dispensation of time in which we live. And it's going to be, we're living in exciting days. Exciting days. And... Uh, But the prophet Elijah was raised up by God and he was a hard-headed man with a soft heart towards God. Who knows we need to have a hard head to survive as a Christian in this environment right now, but a soft heart towards God and uh, to confront and he was brought, the Lord brought forth an instrument at a strategic time to bring a nation back from idolatry to God. Who knows Australia needs to be brought back from idolatry back to God. Australia needs to come back to God. It is a backslidden nation and we declare that God is going to move. And he confronted the false prophets of Baal and there's plenty of false prophets around us, plenty of things that people serve aside from the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But he said that he was confronting the prophets of Baal and there was a final showdown. Jesus marched into town with his gunslinger belt on and said, this town ain't big enough for two of us. And he says, one of you is going and it's not me. Amen. Jesus is saying, this town, Charters Towers, is not big enough for two of us. And I tell you what, we're going to serve the, an eviction notice to all those false gods out there because Jesus is Lord. Amen. Can we say that? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. When you make Jesus Lord of your life, I tell you what, you are unleashing the power of heaven and you can have a heavenly intervention in your earthly situation that can see you victorious and all conquering. And so, but Elijah then, he broke the three and a half drought, year drought, with a declaration only of the promise of God. And he says, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And that was before there was even a cloud in the sky as big as a man's fist. He already declared. You see, he was not governed by what he felt. He was not governed by what he see. He was only governed by what we believe. When you grab hold of this Bible, it instills a believing power and you are not, no longer governed by your surroundings. You, do, you make situations, amen? You are not under circumstances. You dictate circumstances, And that's the authority that God has invested in us. And you too can walk out of this place in control of your life because the Lord God, you make him CEO of your life and there is a victorious way to live for you. And but he, I'd like if you would turn in your Bibles to the last book in the Old Testament and it's called the book of Malachi. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn in the last book of the Old Testament straight before Matthew, and it's called the book of Malachi. And the whole of the last division of the Old Testament is in fact comprises the writings of the prophets, 
of which there were four major prophets and 12 minor prophets, in total 16. That's the writing prophets. There have been thousands and tens of thousands of prophets, but not all prophets are writing prophets. And so the Hebrew or the Jewish people don't use the term Bible. They use the term Tanakh. Can you say that? Tanakh. Or oh, put a bit of in that. Helps if you've got a throat infection, if you've got COVID or something. Say Tanakh. Oh, that's it. That's it. That's wonderful. And so the first five books, they're called the law. You will know them as the, the books of, or the Torah, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so if you're not used to reading the Bible, you get to know these really easily because we refer to the Bible over and over and over again. This is the handbook of life. Basic instructions before leaving earth is what the Bible stands for. And if you're, not, if you're living your life without the Bible, you're not receiving those instructions, amen? Oh, you want to have those instructions because they're directly from God. And after the Torah, then you've got the Nevi'im, the, and which means the prophets. And then you've got the Ketuvim, so it's an acronym. The Tanakh represents the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, which is the writings. And so in our Bibles, we have, as I said, the four major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then they've got Lamentations in there and Ezekiel and Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. You'll learn these. It's a, it's a good way to know your Bible. In addition to that, you've got the four 12 minor prophets, and they're so-called the minor prophets, not because the length of their writings, nor the quali- but the, because of the, uh, only because of the length of their writings, not the quality of their content. Because even though they write a, a smaller amount, the quality is still there, Amen. So they're called only minor prophets because it is shorter in length only. And it's interesting to note, uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament is a period called the silent years of some 400 years. So between the Old Testament, which is where the Hebrew Bible finishes, and Hebrew people in Israel today still only have a Bible that comes up to the book of Malachi, and then it stops. They don't have a faith in Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, amen? So the New Testament is Christians. But it's really, our our Christian faith is totally built on the Old Testament, amen? It is the foundation of our faith. And that's why you need to look after the Jewish people and the Hebrew people and Israel today. We We have entered into their spiritual blessing, and so it is our responsibility to make sure we look after their physical blessing. Stand up for Israel today. Do yourself a favor. And so it's interesting to note in between this interim period, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, there is a 400-year time slot period, and it's called the Silent Years. It's also interesting to note that the uh, secular thinkers or Greek thinkers came to prominence in this time. You'll know them as Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and others. They came to rise in these Silent Years. But I'd like for us to go to Malachi and chapter 3, and I'm going to read a couple of verses here. And we've been talking about Elijah, and it finishes on that note in the Old Testament. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. You see, the spirit of Elijah prepares a way for the Lord to return. And the Lord whom you seek will come, suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. That's the Christ. That's Jesus. 
in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And it goes on to there. In verse 7, it says, God is speaking and he says, return to me and I will return to you. The title of my message this morning is 180 degree turnaround or repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. What an exciting message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is not a feel good message. A lot of people bring messages and they feel good. They talk about their, your self-esteem and this and that and they talk about your finances. But Jesus didn't always talk about that. He talked about repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the Bible says, behold, I send my messenger. And so bringing the Old Testament to an end, the prophet Malachi says, remember the law of Moses, the promise that God will send Elijah, the prophet, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so here we go. I'd like you to turn the page to chapter 4 of the book of Malachi and the last two verses of the whole of the Old Testament. So it's important stuff. And it affects your life because it, when you understand the times, the dispensations of which we live in, it's easier to, uh, it's easier, easier, it's good to know where your place is, isn't it? It's good to know where the church is and what the church is called to do. I'm looking today at the people of Elijah with that same spirit of Elijah. Because, because as, Elijah, as, a, as Elijah or the spirit of Elijah came upon John the Baptist in the beginning of the New Testament, uh, ushering in the first coming of Jesus Christ, so the spirit of the Elijah will come upon this end-time church, and that's what we are. We are an end-time church. The clock is ticking. It is only a couple of seconds to midnight, and the spirit of Elijah is going to come upon you, amen? And it is going to come upon you, and it is to come upon you. You may not see yourself as that, but God has a purpose and a destiny for the church, and turn to the person next to you and you say, you are the church. That's it. The church is not a building. The church is a people. People say, I don't need to come to church. They say, but sure you don't. But you need to uh, be in association with the people of God. Amen. That is the church. If you only can see church as a building, we've got it all wrong. This was only built to facilitate the presence of God that we could commune with one another and together. Amen. Can I have an hallelujah, Jeff, in the house? Hallelujah, that's it. You can get excited. I've seen you guys at the football. You get real excited, kicking a pigskin around a paddock. But this is far more exciting, amen? These are things of eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. And so it says here in these last two verses of the Old Testament, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. You see that? And so uh, it has multiple applications, prophecy, because it always is, there is a series of fulfillments, never just one. And so this is a fulfillment of the first coming of Jesus Christ, and also in the days to come, not very far from now, and Jesus will return again. Turn to the person next and say, Jesus is returning again. People don't realize just how soon it is. I want to say that it's real soon. It's real soon. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Who knows that old song? I'd sing it for you, but it's not time for everybody to leave. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And it is a great day for believers, but it is a dreadful day for unbelievers. Isn't it true? The same waters that saved believing Noah were the same waters that 
brought about the annihilation of everybody else. Amen? The same waters. And so it's a beautiful day and it's a dreadful day at the same time. And so, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Who knows that it is a time and a place in our history when the hearts of the children have been torn away from the fathers. And that's true, isn't it? Through our education systems and all that sort of thing, they have not built the family, but they have systematically destroyed the family. You cannot go to university and come away with a better thought or idea about family life. They say, we've replaced family life, we've got government. Oh, it makes a poor mother and it makes a poor father. But that's exactly what it does. And the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So many parents we see in, in almost all households, there is this dysfunction where the hearts of the children are being robbed from the hearts of their parents and vice versa. And it said, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And so that's how the Old Testament finishes talking about a fulfillment of the spirit of Elijah coming back on the earth. And so with that, now I'd like now, so... Uh, and, and, and Jesus coming is a fulfillment of uh, what Moses prophesied in chapter 18, verse 15, which was 2,000 years before, which means it was 4,000 years ago. And, the, and the, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Jesus Christ fulfills that prophecy. Amen. The 456 prophecies of the Christ in the Old Testament, all fulfilled in the one person called Jesus Christ. And here Moses is predicting 2,000 years before the end of the, of the Old Testament. And he says, God is going to raise up a prophet like me from amongst your brethren. And so Jesus coming from the lineage of King David himself, his father being the Holy Spirit, came at the fulfillment and the pre-appointed time. There was a pre-appointed time for Jesus to be born. It was 2,000 years ago, and the cross is still the center of all history. From the days of creation, every sacrifice looked to the cross, and, every, and since that time of the cross, 2,000 years ago, we still look to the cross. Jesus is still the center of history. He is the man of the millennium, and he is the man of every millennium. Amen? Amen. Every millennium. The Old Testament shows us the need for a saviour and the New Testament shows us the saviour. He was concealed in the Old Testament, but Jesus fully revealed in the New. It's good news. It's good news. We were born in the dispensation of grace, the end times or this end time dispensation of time called the end of days. People say, oh, it's been the end of days for so long. Yes, it is, because this end of days period is a full 2,000 years. It is the church age. It's the Holy Spirit age. It's the days of grace. Amen. All these things uh, captivate everything that God is in this 2,000 year dispensation of time. And Malachi 3.7, return to me and there is the promise. And God says, and I will return to you. Isn't it beautiful? When you return to God, perhaps you're being a bit of a prodigal. Perhaps you're away from God. Perhaps you have never come to God. But the Lord's promise is return to me. And all the prophets, all the 16 writing prophets speak of God pleading with the people through the prophet, 
return to me and the promise that God would return to you. If you're away from God, I say, come back to God today. If you're away from God, one step, or you, the best step, the best move of God that you can have right now is you make a step closer to God. A move of God is within your capability right now this morning. You can take a step closer. Make it today. Make it today. Make a conscious effort to be one step closer to God because you and I are all as close to God as we want to be. I'd like now to go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. It's fast-paced, actually, really, Luke, Luke chapter 1. And we see that the 400 years of silence was broken before the altar of incense. And there was a man, uh, he was a priest of the Lord, and he was assigned, sometimes the, the priests were asked to put incense on the altar of incense in the temple itself. Sometimes that lot given to the priest occurred once in his lifetime, most likely only once in his lifetime. And the priest that day was named, he was a man named Zechariah, and, he, and his, name's, his name is a derivative of a Hebrew word meaning Zohar, which means God remembers. Amen? And God remembers after, he remembers his old covenant from Deuteronomy 18.15 and everything else prior to, and God remembers his covenant with us. And at the altar of incense, 400 years of silence was broken. Amen? And Zechariah there is praying for his barren wife. And who knows that all the amazing things happened in the Bible from the womb of barren women. Amen? God built a whole nation, the Israel people, from three generations of barren women. Amen? Hannah prayed and she was barren. And the whole earth at that time was barren. And she pleaded before God. She murmured. She couldn't even get out the words. The priest thought she was drunk. And then all out of her womb came Samuel. And restored the nation back to God. And here we are in the New Testament. And here we see Zechariah praying for his barren wife, Elizabeth. And from her womb would come John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah. It's glorious news, isn't it? It's glorious, glorious, glorious stuff. The Old Testament finishes with the promise that God would send the spirit of Elijah. And we know that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah confronted Ahab and the wicked king of the day. And so John the Baptist confronted the leadership and the wicked king Herod of the day. Amen. We know that. And so it was, according to the custom of the priests, that these lot fell to burn incense and he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people, they were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so it was that the uh, 400 years of silence was broken at the altar of incense or the place of prayer. What could place, the place of prayer be for you today? Have you come to the altar of incense today for yourself? Because God will be there. The promise that God, you will not only speak to God, but God will, God will hear your prayer. And God will answer. Oh, it's, it's good news for you and I. The angel of the Lord to appear to, to him standing beside the altar of incense. And uh, Zechariah, uh, he, he was fearful. And the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Oh, it's good news. Good news for us all. Good news for us all. And once again from the womb of a barren woman representing the spiritual barrenness of the nation. 
And he says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And I have found that the Bible talks about, it doesn't ever say that you cannot drink. But I have found anybody with a special call of God upon their life, they will separate themselves and take a Nazarite vow. And uh, no drink has passed my mouth now for 30 years. I felt the Lord say to me years ago, I do not want you to be responsible to cause anybody else to stumble. And so you'll see if there's a special call upon, of God upon your life that you will actually refrain because of your love for your neighbor. And I know I could get myself into a whole lot of hot water there because heaps of people drink. And, but in years ago in the church, people couldn't even be on a leadership team if they did drink, amen? But not so today. It means you can indulge in anything today. It can be the... Anyway, I won't go there. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so you see, the Spirit of God came upon John the Baptist while he was still in the womb. That would have been an exciting child to carry during those pregnancy months. Amen? Can I have an hallelujah there? Can some of the women identify with that? Your pregnancy was a bit uncomfortable, but imagine carrying a child filled with the Holy Spirit at that time. Amen? Jumping about it would have been awesome, wouldn't it? And so it says here, in, and he will turn, the, and here it says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Isn't that incredible? He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. There it is again. And so you see in Luke chapter 1 ties in with the last verses of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared of the Lord. What is a job? What is the role? What is a job description of a person with the spirit of Elijah upon them? It is to make ready the people of the Lord. What is the role of the church to make ready the people of the Lord? Our role of the of the church in this community is to prepare our community for the Lord's return. People say, "Oh, it's it's far off. It's far off." I want to say, <laughs> the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking real, real quick. I turn on the news. I hear a say, I'm going to say it again. I turn on the news and I hear some crazy stuff. Used to be you would turn on the news a year later and you'd hear some crazy stuff. But now you turn on the news and then you hear some crazy stuff and then you turn it on five minutes later and hear some crazier stuff. And you turn it on five, five minutes later and you hear some crazier stuff. We are not, we are not spiralling our... Our, uh, this whole generation is in free fall, amen? It's an anything goes generation. And anything goes. And so, and he will turn around, and I'm talking about he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. There is a, an amazing thing, this word called repentance. It's not so much a, a, a thing that you say, but a repentance is something that you actually do. And the church in this last decades and decades, I've seen thousands of people come to the altar after the last 20 years, literally thousands, and I've seen people verbalize repentance, and they say, oh, I'm sorry. But repentance looks like something. And repentance, the technical word for repentance, is basically walking up to something this way and all of a sudden doing a about turn. I'm talking about a 180-degree turn and begin to walk the other way. Repentance looks like something. Repentance got you saved and repentance will keep you saved. Amen. 
and nobody ever speaks of repentance. Now, when they're talking about building a church or doing this or doing that, you need to preach feel-good messages. You need to talk to people about their self-image and all this sort of stuff. But the Bible says if you want to get the weight off your back, repent. And if you want to get the hurdles out of your road in life, repent. And not repent. You can repent before man, that's fine. But repent before God and it is the fruit of the lips. In other words, it looks like something. It is not just verbalizing I'm sorry, but it is a turning a back on the things of the earth and turning to God. Amen? Turning away from sin and turning to God. Massive difference. A lot of people come to the altar and all they do is turn to God while still hanging on to their sin. But the Bible knows nothing of that sort of restoration. It talks about nothing about being born again, walking up to God and just adding him to part of your life. When Jesus is Lord of your life, he is your life. Amen. He is the wheel beneath your wheel from which everything else in your life will radiate. Amen. It's a glorious way to live. You think, oh, when I lose something, oh, yes, you'll lose yourself. Hey, John the Baptist says, I must decrease so that he may increase. When you lose yourself and keep your eyes on him, now you begin to walk in victory. It's a look up and live, Ergon Energy message, amen? Look up and live. Look up and live. Look up to Jesus. You can look to where you're going. You can navel gaze and all that sort of stuff. And you can go, oh, back to my childhood. And my, my parents did this and my parents did that. And the government did this and the government did that. And they're not doing this and they're not doing that. Where does it end? Where does it end? It does not end. It does not end. Navel gazing has never got us anywhere. God took Abraham outside of the tent and he said, look up at the stars. I say to you today, get out of the tent and look up. It's a good message. It's a good message. It's a good message. We see Zechariah, the priest, the husband of Elizabeth, was selected to present at the altar of incense. The altar of incense is the place of prayer, and it's a great place to repent. Oh, this is how you build a church. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Hey? Turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. The whole situation, this divine work, was a work of the Holy Spirit. We come and pray here before the meeting about 8.30 in the morning for a good half hour. And we, uh, uh, we, uh, we release this meeting to the Holy Spirit. And we have an, a program, we have an agenda, we do our mic checks and our sound checks. We know our worship songs and we do our notes and everything. But unless the Spirit of God is upon it, it, all effort is in vain. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain who build it. Amen? And so we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to say this Elijah generation is totally a work of the Holy Ghost. And you need the Holy Spirit. And it says in, in Luke 1, 67, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. So you see both parents, they're just filled with the Holy Ghost. And then in Luke 1, 15, it says he being... John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so this whole work of repentance, this ushering of the spirit of Elijah is a work of the Holy Ghost. Are you in the Holy Ghost today? Or was it good news when we heard about Wendy's grandson being filled with the Holy Spirit? The apostles worked with, walked with Jesus for three and a half years and yet on the day of Pentecost they were filled with the Holy Ghost. That was with, with a dunamis dynamite power of God came upon them for service. To live a victorious life, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and you think, oh, I'm not sure if I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. We'll come down to the front and we'll pray for you and that the, the Spirit of God will fill your life because victorious living comes from the dunamis dynamite power of God. Why live with less than what God has made available? If you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, just make it part of, be hungry for the things of the Spirit. Be hungry. Don't be content with so little when the Lord has got an amazing banquet for you and I. And John's message was repent. It was, and his baptism was a, a baptism of repentance. And so a repent definition, very, very short, turning from sin and turning to God. Not just turning to God. Not just turning to God. Turning to God and holding on your sin is an abomination to him. You want to bring judgment on your life? No, you don't. Turn away from sin. That is the thing. Little sin, no such thing. Turn away from your sin and turn to God. Turn away from sin. Repent. Come to God. Walk with God. Turn the other direction. Give up on that lifestyle. A change of mind and a heart that alters not only what we think, but what we do. And so repentance, I always say, is an action. It's a verb. People think it's just something that you say. I'm sorry, but it's not. It's a verb. It's a doing. It's a walking away. Very, very physical thing. Repentance opens the door of salvation and the fruit of repentance will keep us in right relationship with God. People think, oh, well, once I've repented, once I'm right for life. But I have found that keeping short accounts with God, we all mess up. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, We all make mistakes. Who here has made a mistake? Since you've received Christ in your life, who's still made a few mistakes? Oh, I've made one, I think. Oh. <laughs> Keeping short accounts with God. Repentance keeps you in right relationship with the Lord. Amen? And we all, oh, I don't care who you are, we all need to walk a lifestyle of repentance. And also repentance with one another. And the Bible talks about your prayers. I pray that you go to the midweek meeting because it talks about a prayer 101, the essentials of prayer. Amen? That's what I talk about on the midweek meet. We had a, we had a fantastic midweek meeting. It was just fantastic. It was so good. Presence of God was here. We couldn't all help but pray afterwards. And so uh, repentance is not so much of a saying as a doing word, but the message of the prodigal son really is a story of a young man who came to his senses. Who needs to come to their senses? Who came to their senses? When you come to Christ, you are actually coming to your senses. It is the most logical thing to do on all the earth. But because of demonic influences around all of us, there are demonic influences. There's hatred, there's unforgiveness, there's anger, there's all this, there's lust, there's all this other stuff. And it forms like a brazen thing over us. And the message of the good news of the gospel cannot penetrate. Why is prayer necessary to see somebody into salvation? Because it nullifies demonic influences so that they can come to their senses and see the rationale of serving God. It's common sense to serve God. But in a place of sin and where so many influences around your life and so the necessity to pray people through nullifies these other influences around your life so you can accept Jesus because it is the most logical thing to do, yet one that many people have to be in a pressurized cooker before they seem to be able to make that decision. 
Who was in a pressurised cooker when you came to Christ? I was in a pressurised cooker, amen. Wasn't easy, but I made the decision. I pray you make that decision today. So the message of the... uh, And so MEC, uh, repentance opens the door of salvation and the fruit of repentance will keep us in right relationship with him. In 2 Chronicles, and this is in the Old Testament, repentance is normally referred to as to the nation. And the prophets call the nation back to God. But in the New Testament, we call an individual back to God. That's right. And the ecclesia, which is the definition of the church in the Greek, are the called out ones, and we make an individual decision. So it's a personalized relationship with Christ, and so we personally repent. Repentance is something that you come before God on your own. We can come, we can open up the altar. In the old school altars of a couple of hundred years ago, this altar here would be a place where people would come to weep and to wail and to repent. It's a long time since we've seen that sort of repentance. In fact, I've seen a repentance without tears generally is not repentance. If you've never come to that place of being in tears before God and repented of your sin, it's quite doubtful sometimes whether you're actually saved. People who come to get just to get Jesus and add it onto their life without any form of repentance is not a salvation gospel message and these last decades i've seen thousands of people come to christ without repentance and wonder why most of them fall away and after even a couple of weeks sometimes seen people i've seen people repent or so-called come to christ and and before lunchtime that day they're off their face on drugs or alcohol you see it's a it's a message without repentance And the Bible and the church needs to come back to this message of repentance. It's not an easy message to preach. It's not a feel-good message. It doesn't tickle all your right spots, amen? But it's a real message. If you want your salvation to really mean something, get before God and begin to repent. And so the nation is called back to repentance well, they came to their senses in Second Chronicles 6.37. I'll quickly go there because it makes way for an exciting verse. And this is Solomon at the dedication of the temple after he built this beautiful temple. And he's praying to the Lord. And he says, Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they are carried captive, and Solomon was prophesying that the nation would be carried into captivity... Before they, even the temple was finished, the temple was just finished and he already knew the nation's demise. And he says, and the land where they were carried captive, and we know they were carried captive. In 722, the Assyrian Empire took the northern tribe. In 586 BC, the people were taken to Babylon. Yet when they come to themselves, which means come to them senses, as the prodigal nation, as a prodigal nation, where they were carried captive, and repent. There's that word again. There's that R word. We'll call it the R word this morning, will we? And make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done wrong, and we have committed wickedness. In verse 39 says, Then hear from heaven, this is Solomon praying, Then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer, and their supplications, maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. 
That is our prayer. They say, that's our Old Testament, Jeff. But then again, it says, God heard that prayer. And you'll see, and so everybody quotes 2 Chronicles 7.14. And this is God speaking, but it is in response. God is responding to Solomon's prayer in the, in the, in the previous chapter. God hears our prayer and God answers. And it says, if my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That turn there is repenting. Turning and going the opposite direction. It's the same word. Turning. We need to make, not a verbal, but we need to make a physical turning away from the things that grieve the heart of God. We all do it. We all are involved in doing things which grieve the heart of God. But God says, uh, he said to the woman, he says, go and sin no more. They all wanted to stone her. Jesus prevented that from happening. He dismissed all the witnesses. And so there was no longer two or three witnesses to condemn her. And he says, I don't condemn you. He said, go and sin no more. It's easy, isn't it? Go and sin no more. I say to you today, go and sin no more. I believe the Lord wants to purify his bride. We are called the bride of Christ. We are really the betrothed of the Lord. And that marriage will be consummated when the Lord returns the second time. Turn from the wicked way. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. A beautiful promise. And it's for us here today. God wants to heal our lives. He wants to heal our families. And he wants to heal this region of Charters Towers. Amen. And so... Uh, Many altar calls are given, urging people to turn to God, a turning to God with no turning away from sin. And that is not scripture. That is not gospel. That's what you call cherry-picking scriptures. And we've, we've done it real well. The church has done it real well, and thousands have come to the altar, but many, many, most of them are not saved. There is a false sense of security for those people because they've not repented of their sin. We are kidding ourselves, feeling out, we've got, we've got bums on seats, amen? But we haven't got Christians, people Bible-believing Christians. This is not biblical gospel nor salvation, and many under the false sense of security that I'm saved without a change of mind, I'm saved without a change of heart or direction to our lives. People have, having never departed from the wide and broad way, that leads to destruction. In other words, they've just added Jesus on and continued on the wide and broad way. And the Bible says to destruction. That's what it says. This is not cherry-picking scriptures, but this is painting. Uh, it's a harsh reality. <coughs> Two men are at the altar, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Luke 18, 14. Let's quickly go there. Luke 18 and 14. And so we think as soon as we see somebody up the altar, they're saved. That's what we think. That's true, isn't it? We say, oh, but what are they saved to? What are they saved from? In Luke 18 and 14, it says, but Jesus called to him and said, uh, uh, so uh, let me find it. Two men went up to the temple. So we're in Luke 18, chapter, uh, chapter 18 and verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another a tax collector. So basically, this is an altar call. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterous, or even the tax collector. In other words, all the rough exterior stuff, he was all cleaned up. 
But what you couldn't see was what God was interested in. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He was ticking all the boxes. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh, a breast-beating, penitent sinner. Oh, wouldn't it be good if we had some more breast-beating, penitent sinners at the altar these days? It's been so long since I've seen breast-beating, penitent sinners. You see, that's an old school message. Oh, that's fire and brimstone. Well, it's not. It's gospel. It's gospel. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's a humbling thing to be a breast-beating, penitent sinner. But the Lord will lift you up, and he'll lift your life up. He will lift your marriage up. He will lift your finances up. He will lift your children up. He'll lift your family up. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. If righteousness can exalt a nation, what can it do for you? And where does it start? It starts at the altar of repentance. This is a great message. It's a harsh message. It's not one that you write home to mum and say, Oh, we preached on repentance today. Repent. You brood of vipers, John the Baptist said, the voice cutting the air after 400 years of prophetic silence and then booming in the desert, out near in the Jordan, the lowest place on earth. Brood of vipers produce fruit in keeping with repentance, said John. And you think, oh, well, that's, just, that's just a transition period before the Testaments. But John the Baptist, he was scathing with those Pharisees. He reserved his most scathing, scathing remarks for the so-called religious sect. Amen? So we're not called to be religious. We're called to be Christ-like. We're not called to be denominational. We're called to be Christ-like. Christian Outreach Center cannot save you, but Jesus can. Jesus saved me over 30-odd years ago. He's not interested in our religious credentials, Pharisees, denominations, fasting or praying or tithing, but he's interested in the fruit of repentance and the life that shows it. Jesus, feel good, social and nice gospel. Oh, it's a great message. And uh, so John the Baptist said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. I think that's in Matthew chapter 3. There it is. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he was described as coming in the, as in the words and the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his straight paths. You see, this church, the spirit of Elijah is coming upon each of us. To prepare you the way of the Lord. People think, oh, that's just decades away. That's a hundred years. That's a thousand years away. They've been talking about it for so long. I tell you what, this 2,000 year dispensation period is nearly up. And the Lord's very, very clear in all prophecy that it's nearly up. And there is nothing theologically to be filled in the New Testament or the Old that the Lord cannot come in the twinkling of an eye. Whether I finish this message this morning or not is up to him. Because nothing needs to be fulfilled. Nothing. The Lord could be here this afternoon. And you have to live like he is. Amen? Do business till I come, he said. But live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. The prophets preach repentance. Return to me would, would be three words that wrap up 
every single one of the writing prophets, the four major prophets and the 12 minor prophets, all 16 prophets have contained in their words, return to me and the promise by others and I will return to you. John the Baptist preached repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And, uh, and Jesus preached repentance and he picked up Jesus' first sermon in the New Testament is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. They were the very, very first words he preached. You say, oh, repentance, that's old school. That's Old Testament stuff. We don't do that. We just accept Jesus and go on living and we live by grace. And I, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a, an enemy of the grace message. It has its place, but it's not the only message. It's part of the message. I mean, it's part of the gospel message. People say, oh, God is love. Yes, he is. But he's a just God. Amen. To repent, to just preach the love of Christ and we live like the devil, that is not the gospel, amen. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. That's when grace becomes greasy. Greasy grace, amen. And your foot shall slip into due time. And Luke 24, 47, and that repentance, this is a beautiful thing. Uh, Peter preached repentance his first mighty sermon on the day of Pentecost, and the people were cut to the heart. Pitiful Peter couldn't preach anything before, before the power of Pentecost came upon him. And the power of Pentecost came upon him and he preached a message. He preached up a storm. And uh, 3,000 were saved that very, very day. And they were cut to the heart and they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent. That's the first thing he said. He said, repent. How can we take this word out of our gospel message? All we say is, oh, it's just come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus and everything's going to be okay. That is part of the message. It's a glorious part of the message, but it's part of the message. And uh, context is everything. You take, you take the context out and you're left with a con. It's true, isn't it? Context is everything. Cherry picking scriptures evangelists and pastors and we all do it because we want to get on with people we want to be nice to people we want people to like us we want our churches to be filled but we want to be churches filled with believers amen and the message of the gospel preached in all its fullness peter preached repentance and acts 3 19 and 20 it says repent therefore and be converted this is beautiful that your sins may be blotted out Really, why? So that your name without will not be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. I believe before the foundation of the earth, the Lamb's book of life had every single person's name in it. But the Bible talks about our names being blotted out. In other words, provision was made for every single person born from the days of creation till the day the Lord returns. It was an amazing book. But there is massive gaps in there now because names are being blotted out. Why? Because people have not repented that times of remission would come and that their sins may be blotted out. When your name is blotted out, when your, sorry, when your sin is blotted out and it's washed away and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb as though it has never been, it's not covered, it's removed. The Old Testament speaks of atonement, which means it's covered. But in the New Testament, your sin is removed. Thank God my sin is removed. I have been a chief of sinners. I was good at it. Who's been good at sin? I was good at sin. I was good at it. But my sin was blotted out. It was removed so that my name would not be blotted out 
in the Lamb's book of life. Who would like their names to be in the Lamb's book of life? Oh, it's a good message. Have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And so popular was this message of repentance that Peter was and his mate John were immediately imprisoned. <laughs> That's how popular the message of repentance is. And they were brought before the religious people. Religious people don't like this message of repentance. They don't like it. And religious people will soon put you behind bars for preaching this sort of message. Why? Because people don't come to, they don't come to just church and everything like that. They come to Christ. Repentance makes a way for you to come to Christ. The apostles went out and preached repentance and were commanded to do so. I have always said to preach the gospel, the great commission without the Holy Spirit is the great omission. Isn't it? To preach the gospel without the Holy Spirit is the great omission. But I also find to preach the gospel without repentance is also a gospel of omission. And is in fact not a gospel at all. In other words, how long since you've spoken to a friend about Christ and repentance was a major part or at least a part of that message? Amen? Repent, believe and receive would be the tripod of salvation. Repent of your sin. Believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as your Lord and Saviour. Oh, salvation, eternal life. You are transferred from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. I'm just going to round up now while Jules comes to the keys. There's quite a few things I haven't covered there, but that's okay. We are described in scripture as the bride of Christ. Or really, we are really at this point in time, the betrothed of the Lord. As in the Song of Songs, that's being the ultimate song. Remember that book written by Solomon about his beautiful Beautiful young maiden whom he courts and weds and marries, consummates the marriage. It's a beautiful story, beautiful story. It's the betrothed and his bridegroom, that being Jesus. And when he beckons us to return, it's a return from our adulterous relationships. And we have all committed spiritual idolatry. We have all done it. We flirt with so much stuff. The things of the world captivate our hearts. When all, if Jesus captivates your heart, you know that your life will come into a divine order and you and I will never be the same. You think, can it be that simple? Over 30 years ago, I thought, could it be that simple? My life, I seem to have everything, but I have nothing. I felt so dry. I felt so barren. I felt they were going to lock me up because I felt like I was popping more pills and I should be in the psych ward. I had depression before it was trendy. <laughs> I used to take 16 tablets of lithium a day for breakfast. Rattled like anything. Then they stopped giving them to them because they killed too many people with that. But I came to Jesus. I hit the bedroom floor and I just cried and cried and cried. I was raised up a young Catholic boy. I had a knowledge of God. I had a cross on my mum and dad's wall. Above the door was a cross. We went to church and I had a bit of religion. I didn't have Christ. But having Christ as a relationship, it's a personal relationship. Amen? It's not something that you do corporately. It's something individual. And I saw and I thought in my own home I had no cross. Raising a family was difficult. I was earning good money and everything, but I felt so, I felt gutted. And I was gutted. And I didn't think I would 
I felt like my nails were in the edge of a cliff and I felt I was going into the abyss. And I called out to Jesus. It was the most amazing thing I ever did. I hit my carpet, my bedroom floor, and I just said, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. I was a young boy, eight years of old, and we watched a movie called King of Kings. Who's ever seen that movie, King of Kings? I was eight years old, maybe seven. And I watched the crucifixion of Jesus in that movie for the first time. And when I saw it, I ran into my bedroom. And all I could say was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And somehow I knew that I'd grieved the heart of God. I'd grieved the heart of God, and we all do. We're all the same. But when you come to Jesus, it's a real thing. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a theology. You're not coming to a theology. You're coming to a person. God the Father gave His only Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but you'd have everlasting life. It's real. Everlasting life's real. Why is every second show on TV about the supernatural? Because God has placed eternity into the hearts of every man. Let's stand to our feet today. Repentance will keep you saved. Repentance will get you saved. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, I say, yes, do that. But come to Him with a repentant heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, can you just pray this prayer? If it's from the depths of your heart, it will transition. It will translate your life from that one of one of darkness and eternal damnation unto eternal light, eternal life. Let's pray this prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I am sorry. I have grieved your heart over and over and over again. Forgive me, Lord God, today of my sin. Cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. Come into my life now. I thank you, Father, that I'm born again. Of the Spirit of the living God. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name. Jesus name. Amen. Jesus, your name, we bow.